The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 82 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 77, Heroes for Hire. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, ink by Tom Palmer, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in June of 1970. Starting with our cover, this cover doesn't particularly inspire a lot of confidence in the story that is to come. Now, the art itself is actually pretty nice. I think the colors are really awesome, the characters are well-defined, they're on model, and even our villain looks pretty good. Although, in this case, appearances are kind of deceiving. On top of that, the title is very cleanly done, but it's not overwhelming. I see it, I notice it, but it doesn't distract from the rest of the cover, which is really nice because sometimes those titles can just be too much in your face. And quite honestly, I don't buy a comic book to look at the title words, I buy it for the art and the story. Having said all of that, unfortunately for this being my return to podcasting after a little bit of a hiatus here, it is unfortunately a rather rough issue. In fact, this is probably one of the worst issues we have covered so far. I hate to say that, and I hate to prejudge this issue at least to you, the audience, so early on here, but it's just so lacking in so many regards. We'll cover those as we come to them, but just be forewarned that this is not the Avengers' finest hour. Now, our opening splash page is also fairly strong. I do wish the angle were better so that we weren't just staring at the back of Goliath's head. And the colors on the building really aren't a great hue, but I appreciate that they're at least consistent, that they make it look like a uniform building. I also really like the sense of action that Goliath's movement is given. It really feels like he is laying into this building with pretty much all he's got. So... Our story opens much to the surprise and horror of a rapidly assembling crowd. Goliath, along with his fellow Avengers, begin to make quick work of a building scheduled for demolition. Each member of the team makes use of their powers in an effort to bring the building down in record time. Just as fear begins to grip the crowd, several start to wonder if this is really what the Avengers are about, and if that's the case, who out there can stop them? Now, I don't know if I should feel good or bad about the consistent skepticism that the public shows for our superheroes. And this goes really across Marvel comics, and it's not just a Silver Age or Modern Age thing. It runs the gambit of pretty much all comics. On the one hand, the Avengers have consistently done good for the world, often in very public settings, so... There's a lot of reason for the public to have high confidence in the Avengers. At the same time, the Avengers are still, in fact, masked vigilantes accountable to no one, and the public probably shouldn't be okay with this. In part, the public seems very ungrateful, but it may also just be a case of excessive vigilance. Now, with regards to this particular situation, I can really understand why the public 
is impressed at how easily the Avengers can destroy this building, but I'm also not really sure that they should be all that surprised. The Avengers can cause this kind of damage on accident most of the time, so purposeful destruction probably isn't that difficult for them. Also, it's kind of unnecessary to give me a page and a half of power demonstrations. Now, I understand that this is frequently done for new readers of the comics. Every couple of years, they try and bring in a new generation, or at least they did it at this point in time. Refreshing the reader's mind on these characters and what they can do and who they are is pretty normal in comic books. But I also think that new readers are smarter than a lot of people give us credit for. And so I think they can pick things up from context a little bit better than most people assume. So with the final crash of debris, the police show up demanding to know what the Avengers are up to. As Goliath begins to explain that the situation isn't what it appears to be, a very well-dressed man arrives in a limousine and introduces himself as Cornelius Van Lunt. Mr. Van Lunt then produces the deed for the property and claims that he hired the Avengers to demolish the property, which he has just acquired. With the police mollified, Van Lunt then sends his lackey, Wilkins, to pay the Avengers for their work. Although they accept the money, they are displeased to discover that the property had originally been intended for use as a playground before being acquired by Van Lunt. So aren't there like permits in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that might alert the police that something like this is going on? Like if you ever walk past a construction site in New York, there's like a billboard worth of work permits attached very visibly out front. So this shouldn't be any kind of surprise for the New York Police Department here. So we are introduced in part to our villain, one of really two main villains in this issue, uh, Cornelius Van Lunt, and he really is more of a modernized robber baron from the American Gilded Age, and he's a fairly obvious stand-in for a person like Cornelius Vanderbilt. He even has a similar uh, physical appearance. So. Van Lunt bought this land so that the city couldn't build a playground, but then he's going to demolish the building, and then he says he intends to sell it back to the city for a profit. Okay, I get that, but this isn't really like an evil scheme. This is this is like house flipping. You know, the city would have had to pay for demolition of this building anyways. So Van Lunt has purchased the land, demoed the building, and then is going to sell the land back to the city. If anything, all he has done is eliminate red tape, which, depending on your point of view, might actually be evil now that I think about it. But really only if you're a government bureaucrat and you make your living or you just get off on red tape for some reason. As our scene winds down, the Avengers begin to think back on how they found themselves in this predicament. And Scarlet Witch recalls a late night visit from Avengers patron Tony Stark. Again, remember at this point, the Avengers don't know that Iron Man is also Tony Stark. So Iron Man is their team member, but Tony Stark is really their financial patron at this point. Stark arrives literally hat in hand, which is a, a wonderful visual, and informs the Avengers that a man named Cornelius Van Lunt is making a hostile takeover bid on Stark Industries. And as a result, he's being forced to call on all of his financial resources and has to call in the unpaid rent for use of Avengers Mansion, of which Stark is still the owner. While it is a fairly substantial sum, the Avengers are very understanding of Tony's situation and they vow to raise the money in order to help their benefactor. 
To the surprise of all of the assembled, Black Panther takes a moment to say that although he would really like to help, he is unable to help because he has recently taken a job as a teacher at an inner city school. This only makes Stark feel worse about having to ask for his friends for money. Now, I have to say the art team here does a great job of making Stark as legitimately concerned as possible with what is going on. I honestly believe that he is in a life-or-death struggle for the existence of his company, a real existential threat. I also love and appreciate that the Avengers are both willing to get the money together for Tony, and that Tony intends to give the money back when the crisis is over, right? Tony at this point is a millionaire, you know, later billionaire, but in this era, millionaire, so exceptionally rich. He doesn't need the money except in this particular instance. So he's going to give the money back as soon as the crisis is over. I also really like that they are willing to do this without even knowing he's Iron Man. Although he's always been supportive of the team, and like I said, their benefactor, they really don't understand exactly how close Tony Stark is to the team, and yet they are still willing to help him without asking question. They, they volunteer to help immediately. As far as Black Panther goes, I'm totally down for a little bit of an info dump on Black Panther's background because we take a minute and Black Panther explains how important education was to his father and how he made it such a big part of T'Challa's life. But this may be one of the most awkward times to try and dump that in. We're in the middle of dealing with Tony's crisis and then we wander off for about a page to talk about Black Panther's education. I also really like the idea of him teaching at an inner city school. But again, trying to throw this in at this particular moment really distracts from what is already a pretty bare bones plot. So again, I have to wonder if this is really the best place. Elsewhere, we find a motley group of thugs and various villains that are wrapping up a card game just in time to be spotted by their employer, a hooded villain who goes by the name of Kronos. After he interrupts their card game, several employees mouth off, and Kronos takes a minute to remind them exactly who is in charge, mostly by offing one of his minions. Generally speaking, I don't know who the heck Kronos is, nor do I really care about him. And his minions I care about even less because they really come across as a bizarre collection of movie and television extras. They are entirely forgettable except for the fact of how dumb and useless they are. Though I have to admit that I give Kronos a lot of credit for his absolute fearlessness when it comes to straight up offing one of his minions. He shows no hesitation at all to just straight up kill one of his own guys. Once order has been restored, Kronos and his gang begin reviewing films from their last heist. Things went according to plan until the arrival of Black Panther, and the heist at that point is thrown into total chaos, and the villains are only able to escape by gassing Black Panther. Needless to say, Kronos is not particularly pleased, especially when you consider that the Avengers have stopped several other previous robbery attempts. In spite of their recent failures, though, Kronos is confident that his next plan will finally deal with the Avengers. So basically, these guys are watching tapes of their heist, like a football team watches tapes from their previous games. And honestly, they look to be about as successful with thievery as my high school freshman team was at football, given the fact that we only won a single game. Right now, we have 
three different parts of the story, partially out of sequence and almost entirely disconnected. And I am nine pages into the issue. So I really am starting to ask what is going on with this story. By way of attempting to explain, the next thing we see is the next morning where a helicopter makes its way through Manhattan, trailing a banner which reads, For Hire, The Avengers. The team finds themselves surprised that things have come to this, but in order to help Tony Stark, they are willing to go to almost any length. They even go on late night television in order to promote themselves. Soon, letters are pouring in with all kinds of lucrative offers for the Avengers, though unfortunately none of them meet the Avengers' high standards. Though I have to ask that if the Avengers are really on such a time crunch to get this money because they only have a week, one would think that they may not be quite so picky about the job they take. But at that point, they then couldn't waste a page on the job hunting montage because that's important. The Avengers continue digging through these letters and job offers until an offer comes from none other than Cornelius Van Lunt. The offer is so generous that the Avengers decide they have to look into it and agree to meet with Van Lunt. The conversation gets off to a rough start and it really only gets worse from there when Van Lunt offers to leave Stark alone if the Avengers agree to work for him for a full week. So with their business concluded, the Avengers depart Van Lunt's office. Obviously, Van Lunt's offer is some form of trap, and yet here come the Avengers. The writer is really trying to sell Van Lunt as this evil businessman trying to take advantage of the Avengers' dire need. But in reality, it just plays off as the Avengers being easily duped. They had plenty of other valid offers, so there's no good reason for them to have taken Van Lunt's offer, and they should have just told him to go pack sand. After a week of labor... The Avengers have almost finished with their tasks for Van Lunt. Black Panther is off teaching his class about African heritage, and while he manages to get his through to his pupils, he's a bit disappointed when they want to hear about the great black warrior, Falcon. I do enjoy the fact that we take this little pop shot at Black Panther's ego. It's not too terrible, it's not too offending, but just a little bit of ribbing to Black Panther's ego adds a little bit of levity to this issue that's really lacking much of any other feeling. Not far away from Black Panther's school, Kronos and his gang prepare to put their plan into motion. Their target is a midtown bank, and Kronos has a special device that should deal with the Avengers and allow their heist to succeed. At the same time, the Avengers are making their way to their final task for Van Lunt, fixing up an abandoned tunnel under the East River. Although they feel like this job may be a trap, the heroes are true to their word and begin their work. With the Avengers out of sight, a truck pulls up and the supervisor climbs aboard. Inside, he removes his mask and once again dons his hood as Kronos. Taking a hold of his special device, Kronos activates the demolition switch and blows up the tunnel. This is part of the story that I really don't get. The Avengers at this point seem like doing this work is some kind of huge embarrassment to them, but it's really mostly very honest work. I mean, not glorious, but honest demolition and things like that in order to help out a friend. I don't understand why they look so ashamed. They should be out there in front of this saying how they're doing this to help their friend because of all the awesome things he has done for them in the past. You know, Tony Stark has provided the Avengers with financial backing and with the mansion and all those kinds of things. So it's very reasonable for the Avengers to be out there helping support their friend in his time of need. But instead, they just wander around like somebody just kicked their dog. 
Again, I have to question why I care about Kronos when we just see him exchanging one mask for another, and you've yet again given me another reason I don't care about this character. And, you know, blowing up the tunnel is a pretty obvious choice. Especially since, basically from the moment they showed up, this move has been choreographed. And of course, keeping with that choreographed theme, assuming the Avengers are gone, Cronus and his gang make for their target, and again the heist goes off without a hitch until Black Panther shows up, because they didn't make sure all the Avengers were there. Surprise, surprise, Black Panther is here to kick some butt. And this is basically a replay of the filmed heist they watched earlier, so I have no doubt what's going to happen. They should have no doubt what's going to happen. This is not at all surprising and not particularly interesting. So while the gang battles Black Panther, they're distracted and then caught off guard when the other Avengers, having escaped before the tunnel explodes, attack and quickly disarm the hoodlums. The ending of this fight's pretty rough, and even the art, which is up until now been at least passable and pretty good in some places, really begins to suffer. It's done in very small panels, there are minimal backgrounds, they show very little of the action, and there's a lot of very bizarre color choices. So finally, Goliath manages to capture Kronos, and Black Panther takes the opportunity to unmask this hooded menace. At this point, the man is revealed to be Wilkins, Van Lunt's flunky, who admits that this whole situation was just an elaborate scheme to get even with Van Lunt for driving him out of business many years earlier. As the Avengers take Wilkins into custody, Van Lunt offers the Avengers the money they were promised in their contract. The heroes turn down the money though because although it would be beneficial, to them it comes at too high a moral cost. So effectively, this has been a giant Scooby-Doo plot. The guy under the mask, who turns out to be Wilkins, although he looks a lot like Peter Cushing, whom I didn't remember who this guy was and had to read through the entire issue about three times to figure this out because the character of Wilkins, A, in the beginning of the issue was so forgettable, and B, looks nothing like the person at the end of the issue. This person, who I don't care about, has set up this elaborate plot to try and get even with Van Lunt for bankrupting him. Which means Van Lunt's corporate attack on Iron Man has nothing to do with the plot. So how did this guy even make this elaborate plot when he didn't know that Van Lunt would hire the Avengers in the first place? Like, the, the pieces of this plot don't come together. And that's really my biggest complaint about this issue overall. It makes no sense. It really is possibly the worst issue we've covered so far. You know, at least in the early days when the plots were goofy, they still kind of worked. By comparison, this plot has holes so large, I could crash several helicarriers side by side right through them. Not only that, but the villain has no particular appeal or connection with the characters. And on top of all of that, they somehow managed to make a scumbag robber baron knockoff look like the victim. I'm sorry, but I should have absolutely no sympathy for Van Lunt, and I'm fairly certain outside of acts of horrific violence, there is nothing that could be done to make me care or feel sorry for him. And yet this plot attempts to do that. All said and done, this is really an issue you could pass. There is not a whole lot of redeeming value to it. Uh, I don't know if the character of Kronos comes back 
at least this Kronos. And if he does, I still don't care. Unless they can do something significant to change this character and to make it interesting and redeemable from a storytelling standpoint, not a in plot standpoint. I don't care if he's redeemable in story, but if they can't do something to revive this character, then they're just wasting page count. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are going to be covering Avengers number 78, The Man-Ape Always Strikes Twice. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.